You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. I use my phone a lot, and I know you do too, for various things. One of the most important things that I use my phone for is to remind me of certain things. If I have appointments or something I need to do, I can, I can plug it into my phone and at the right time it will ping and it will remind me I have something to do. And I use it all the time. Well, in our sermon this morning on the last couple verses in chapter 1, we're going to see that The Apostle Paul wanted to remind the Christians in Ephesus of some vital truths about Christ. And we're going to be reminded together today of those vital truths. And we'll begin in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1, turn there with me. We're going to look at verses 22 and 23. Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 22 and 23, as we continue our study line by line, verse by verse, this wonderful letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in the first century in a city in Asia Minor called Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. We'll, be, we'll finish chapter 1 uh, this morning. Then we get into chapter 2, which I believe is one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. So I'm very excited about diving into chapter 2 with you starting next week. And this morning I want to ask you if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22. Notice here we are reading from God's Word which is truth with no mixture of error. I'm grateful today for the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. How about you? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, Paul writes, And he put all things under his feet. The Lord God put all things under his Son's feet. And gave him as head over all things to... The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for another opportunity to gather, to gather as a faith family, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another. Lord, to recognize that we are here in the presence of the living God. Lord, to come with expectant hearts. Lord, ready for you to speak to us through your word. And so God, I pray that as we study your word today, you would move with power. That by your spirit, you would enlighten us. Open the eyes of our hearts that we would see the truths of scripture 
And God, grant us the gift of inclination that we would respond to the truths of Scripture. Lord, I pray that you would deliver us from just going through the motions of religiosity. God, I pray that we would leave today knowing we have met with the living God. Have your way in this place. And we ask and pray it all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we've been reminded through our study of Ephesians thus far, the theme of Ephesians is God's grace. Specifically, God's grace in Christ. And that grace in Christ saves us. It unites us with other believers and strengthens our Christian walk. And that's basically how the book is organized. In the first three chapters of this letter that Paul wrote, we see Paul reminding believers of our wealth in Christ. All that is ours, all the spiritual blessings that are ours as a result of our relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. The second half of the book deals with our walk in Christ. How our relationship with God should show up in very practical ways as we live out our Christian faith. And here in chapter 1, Paul has really done a couple different things. First of all, he shares at the the beginning of chapter 1 a long run-on sentence of 202 words to remind the believers in Ephesus of their spiritual blessings in Christ. He, He deals with specific spiritual blessings. Then at the the second part of chapter 1, Paul begins to pray for those believers. And we studied that prayer last week. And I want want you to see how he ends this prayer uh, by reminding us of some very important realities concerning Jesus. And at the end of this prayer, these last two verses, we have a reminder of who Jesus is. So what are we reminded of? Well, first of all, we're reminded that Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. Notice what it says there in verse 21. Back up one verse. He's speaking of Christ being raised from the dead, resurrection power. We talked about that last week. And then the the exaltation of Christ, how uh, God set him at the, the right hand of the throne in the heavenly places. Uh, And it says there in verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet. Paul is reminding us here that Jesus is Lord of all. These verses speak of the rule and the reign of Christ. And notice there what it says, that he reigns over all rule and authority and power. In in fact, there is uh, a mention here of the extent of his reign. The extent of his reign. The word all is a small word with big implications, and it's used three times in verses 21 and 22. Look what it says there in verse 21. One, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named. And not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things, notice that, all things under his feet and gave him his head over 
all things to the church. So he's re- used this word all, all, all to remind us of the totality of his rule. He tells us he reigns over all rule. Every ruler has a ruler and his name is Jesus. All authority, every authority has authority and his name is Jesus. Every power, all powers have a power over them and his name is Jesus. Over all dominion, all that that have dominion in this universe have someone that reigns over them and his name is Jesus. All, 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 all. Now that phrase, dominion, is used again in Ephesians 6, chapter 12, or the, the phrase authority, or the word authority, the word rule, used in Ephesians 6, uh, verse 12. And Ephesians 6 is talking about the spiritual powers. It speaks of the demonic realm. It speaks of demons who are ruled by Satan. And, and what Paul is saying here is that Jesus not only reigns over the physical realm... Jesus reigns over the spiritual realm as well. He reigns over it all. It's like Peter says in 1 Peter 3, verse 22, that Jesus has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, powers, watch this, having been subjected to him. So Jesus reigns over every earthly king, Jesus reigns over every spiritual power. Jesus reigns over it all. He even says there, above every name that is named. So let me say it like this. Jesus is the ruler of everyone, everywhere. There is none higher than Jesus. There's none more authoritative than Jesus. There's none with more power than Jesus. Jesus is truly King of kings and Lord of lords. And it's almost comical sometimes to look at the the world scene and to see a lot of these world leaders strutting around like they're in control. Listen to me. Jesus reigns supreme. We have nothing to fear. History is right on schedule, and Jesus is calling the shots. Can I get an amen? He reigns over all power, all authority, all dominion. You say, wait, I'm scared of demons. I'm scared of the devil. Jesus reigns over them too. He's in control. That's the extent of his reign. But notice the duration of his reign. Look in verse 21. He says he's above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. His reign will never come to an end. He reigns now. He will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. And we say this all the time, but we we miss the, the, the full implication. Listen, Jesus is Lord. That's what Paul wants these believers in Ephesus to understand and what God wants us to understand. Jesus is Lord of all. We need to be reminded of that. Now here's a pertinent question for all in this room. Do you recognize his authority over your life? Do you submit to Jesus as Lord over your heart? Do you recognize him as Lord in Your day-to-day living? 
I mean, if he's Lord of everyone everywhere, then those who name the name of Christ should daily recognize his authority over their life. Jesus is Lord of all. But secondly, another reminder is this. Jesus is our head. Jesus is our head. Now look what it says in verse 22. It says, He put all things under His feet, which is a picture of Jesus being over everything. I heard a pastor say it like this one time. Everything that's over your head is under His feet. He's over it all. And it says there, And He gave Him His head over all things to the church. It says something extraordinary here, here that, that the one who reigns over all reigns in a specific, special way over the church. It said the Lord God gave His Son in a special way to the church. And He says there in verse 23 that the church is His body. The church here is called the body of Christ. Now, throughout Ephesians, we're going to see three different metaphors used for the church. The first is found here in chapter 1. The church is the body of Christ. At the end of chapter 2 and a little bit in chapter 4, we'll see that the church is described as the building of Christ. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, we'll see the church is described as the bride of Christ. And each of those metaphors are intended to communicate different things about Jesus' relationship with his church. And here in verse 22 and in verse 23, the metaphor of the church being the body of Christ is meant to convey, first of all, the authority of Christ. It says he gave him his head over all things to the church. If if he reigns over all, then certainly he reigns over the church, which is his body. Now we understand just from basic biology, that the way the body is constructed, that the head controls the rest of the body. In our head, we have a brain. And our brain controls how the rest of our body functions. It's just very simple science. And that metaphor carries over spiritually. If the church is called the body of Christ and Jesus is called the head of the body, that means that he is in the, he's the one that controls what we do, how we live, how we respond, how we minister, how we function. He's the one calling the shots for the church. It says it over in Colossians 1.18 that he's the head of the church, that in all things he might have the preeminence. In other words, a healthy body does what the head wants. We understand that if someone's body is not responding to their brain, then there's an issue with their body. But a healthy body does what the head wants. So how do we determine, how do we evaluate how a local church is doing? How do we evaluate if a church is healthy or unhealthy? A church that is strong or a church that is anemic or weak. How do we evaluate the the health of a church? Very simply, is the church doing what the head wants it to do? Isn't that simple? Is the church doing 
what pleases Christ? Is, is the church following the mandates and commandments of Christ for His body? We see here the authority of Christ. But this metaphor of the church being the body of Christ also conveys the work of the church. It helps us to understand what we are to be about. There in verse 23, it says the church is his body. In other words, if we are the body of Christ, we are to do what Christ would do if he were still physically present on this earth. Now over in John 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He knew that after he died on the cross and was buried and resurrected, raised from the dead, he knew that he'd spend a little bit of time on earth, but then he would ascend to the Father. He would go back to heaven and sit at the right hand of God. He knew he would, he would no longer be physically on this earth. So listen to what Jesus says to his disciples in John 14, verse 12. A striking statement. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Jesus is saying, I will no longer physically be on the earth, but my body will be there. My church will be there. And those who know me, those who believe in me, those who follow me, those who are born again, those who are redeemed, those who are saved, they will do even greater works than I've done. And we say, wow. And how is that possible? I mean, think about Jesus and all that he did on this earth. How could the, the church do greater works as his body? Well, the greater works here doesn't speak necessarily of substance. It speaks of breadth. It means that the church would grow and expand to the very ends of the earth. And through the ministry of the church, we would be able to touch thousands upon thousands upon millions upon millions of lives with the good news of Christ. But never forget, we are the body of Christ. So we are to be about the things the head would be about if he were physically present on this earth. John 17 verse 18, Jesus said to his disciples, as you sent me into the world, praying to God, I've sent them, the disciples, into the world. In chapter 20, he said to them, As the Father has sent me, I send you. Be about the work I do. You are my body. Philippians 2.30. Paul uses the phrase, the work of Christ. So, so what is the body to be about? What is the work of Christ? How are we to carry out what Jesus would carry out if he were on this earth? Well, we get some insight by looking at Jesus and the Gospels. What, I mean, what did Jesus do when he was on this earth? We see Jesus proclaiming truth, sharing the Gospel, sharing the Word of God. And so certainly, the body of Christ will be about proclaiming good news. We see Jesus making it... A priority, an absolute priority, even in busy ministry seasons, to get away 
and pray. And if we are the body of Christ, certainly, certainly, we ought to be characterized by prayer. It's unfathomable that the body of Christ would not pray like the head prayed when he was on this earth. We see Jesus ministering to the sick and to the down and out when he was on this earth. Certainly the body of Christ should be about that. We see Jesus serving others, putting others' needs ahead of his own. The church, the body of Christ, should serve others. One thing I love about Jesus in the Gospels is he's, he, he, it seems like he's always kind of on the move. He's walking and he's moving and speaks of urgency. He has things to do and, and the body of Christ ought to have some urgency to it. Amen? We see Jesus loving people that no one else loved. Certainly the body of Christ. With he who is love himself as our head should exemplify and live out love for each other and love for those around us. We see Jesus building his entire ministry strategy around discipleship. So shouldn't the body of Christ focus on making disciples? You see, we can get our clues as to what we should be about by looking at what Jesus was about when he was physically on this earth. He is the head. We are the body. And, and here's the cool thing, and I don't want you to miss this. This is in your notes. When people see the church doing what the church is supposed to do, you know what people see? They see Jesus. And I want you to hear your pastor say this. When, when people come into contact with us, whether we're out and about doing ministry, short-term mission trips, ministry in our community, if they come to our worship service, they come to a, a, a D group or come to a Bible study, I don't want them leaving thinking about First Baptist Church. When they encounter the body of Christ with Jesus as our head, when people meet the body of Christ in Fort Walton Beach, I want them to leave that encounter thinking about Jesus. That's why we're here, to point people to him. We are his body. He is the head. And when we do what the body ought to do, people see Jesus in that church. Amen? And that's what we want to be about. We are, in a sense, the hands and feet of Jesus. And we take orders from the head. Let me give you a third thing very quickly, a third reminder here. We've seen that Jesus is Lord of all. We've seen that Jesus is head of the church. But third, Jesus is our source. Look at what it says in verse 23. Since he gave him as, as head over all things to the church, which is his body. Then look at this next phrase. The fullness of him. 
The fullness of him. What does that phrase, the fullness of him, mean? Well, there are two major interpretations. The the grammar could go one of two ways here. One interpretation is that this means that the church is the complement or the completion of Christ. We, We complete Christ. The second interpretation is that this means the church is filled by Christ. And I believe that fits the context better and the overall context of Scripture better. Fullness here is in the the passive sense, which means this would read literally that the church is his body, that which is filled by him. That which is filled by him. So as the church, as the body of Christ, we are filled by Jesus. Jesus is the source for everything that we need. The church here is pictured as a container that Christ fills up. And as we serve, as we do what the body of Christ ought to do, He fills us with His power. He fills us with His wisdom. He fills us with His passion. He gives us everything we need to live out our mission. What a tragedy. Listen to me. What a tragedy that we would ever attempt to do the work of Christ without the fullness of Christ. If we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, we must have His fullness. We need Him to absolutely fill us up and fill us up to overflowing A.S. Wood says this, speaking of the church being the body of Christ, conveying that the church derives its power from Jesus as our head. He writes, The church is not an institution, but an organism. It exists and functions only by reason of its vital relationship with the risen Lord who is its head. There's something different about the church that sets it apart from every other organization on the face of the planet. We've got some organizing principles, surely. But what sets us apart is we derive our power and wisdom and strength directly from Jesus. He fills us That's why in our mission statement we say abide in Christ, advance the gospel. We'll never be effective in advancing the gospel if we don't abide in Christ, right? I said it like this, the the, the quality of our advancing is directly related to the quality of our abiding. We need Jesus to fill us up. Now more than ever... We understand, don't we, how much our vehicles need gas. Anybody gotten gas lately? It's a little expensive. I don't know if you noticed that. When you've got four vehicles, it's very expensive. But we keep getting gas, don't we? Why do we keep getting gas? I mean, why don't we just say, hey, I'm I'm done, too expensive, I'm done. Because we got places to go, Right? We keep getting gas. Listen to me. Just like our vehicles need fuel, the church needs life and vitality 
and power and wisdom and strength and passion from the head to fill us up. Amen? So in a sense, a church, the body of Christ, ought to be just, just, just desperate for Jesus. We need you, Jesus. If we're going to do anything of eternal consequence, if we're going to make a difference, we need you. Jesus is our source. I've seen the church growth movement that used business practices and administrative principles as its source. And that movement just faded away. I've seen other movements, other churches use, try to find their source of power or strength from other entities. Listen to me. The, the, the church that will make a difference in this world, the church that will remain is the church that is all about Jesus. The church that is desperate for Jesus. The church that calls on the name of Jesus. The church that invites and welcomes Jesus to, to work in and through them. That's the kind of church that will make a difference in this world. And by the way, if you move from here, and I hope you don't, but if you move from here and you go to a church, and they don't mention Jesus, don't walk, run. Because it's all about Him. I think I may have shared with you a few years ago about a, a pastor friend of mine. He was doing some itinerant preaching. And he went to a certain church, and he, he preached, and he realized something was kind of off in the church, and this, a, lot, a lot of movement, and and, and it seems like a lot of power in the services. And he said, after one of the services, he was standing in the hallway, and a lady walked up to him to complain about her pastor. And she said to him, she said, All he talks about is Jesus. My pastor friend said he just started backing away from her. Hey, listen, we better talk about Jesus. Amen. He is, our all, he is our source. But fourth and last, in similar vein, Jesus is Lord of all. He's the head of the church. He is our source. And Jesus is our everything. Look how he ends this chapter. It says, The church is his body, the fullness of him, filled up by him. And then it says that Jesus is the one who fills all in all. It's almost like Paul can't come up with enough words to talk about how Jesus feels. What Paul's trying to convey here is that Jesus is our everything. It speaks of Christ meeting every conceivable need that we have. Over in Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Paul writes, For in him, Jesus, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. I love that. Jesus is fully God, fully man. And in him, in Christ, in your relationship with him, listen, you have been made complete. And he is the head over, over all rule and authority. Listen, in Christ, you have been made complete. That's Paul's way of saying that Jesus is our everything. Heaven help us. If Jesus is only part of our lives on Sunday mornings. Heaven help us if we just 
do everything the world's doing and just kind of tack Jesus on to the end. Paul's saying, Jesus is our all in all. He is our everything. Every need we have in life, Jesus fills it up. Every need we have in life, Jesus fills it up. He made us. He died for us. He defeated death for us. He is present with us. He changes us. He sustains us. He gives our weary hearts rest. He grants us deep and abiding joy. He is an inexhaustible well of satisfaction and delight. He is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure hidden in the field. And when you find him, he's worth giving up everything for. He is the bread of life. And he is the good shepherd. Listen, Jesus is all we need. He is our everything. And practically speaking, he's the answer to any issue you have in your life. You got issues on the job? Go to Jesus. Got issues in your home? Go to Jesus. You got some struggles in your marriage? Go to Jesus. Financial struggles? Go to Jesus. Whatever need you have in your physical issues, go to Jesus. Whatever need you have in your life, turn your eyes upon Him. He is our everything. He is our all in all. No one's ever cared for you like Jesus. Why would you go anywhere else? If you got an issue in your life, go to Jesus. Amen? Go to Jesus. He is our everything. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.